Cue the music. Bring up the mics. It is another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. And here we go. I'm Dirk Christensen. We have the microphones hot. And in front of the first one is... Uh, no, I'm not going to say it. It's Joe Gangwish. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, hit the lights. I was not. Yeah. That was Ready too. for my close-up, Mr. Christensen. Curtain time, Mr. <laughs> It'll be curtains for me if I don't get this ag news right. Hey, a new Farm Bureau survey, guys. It shows that farm and ranch families are suffering the most under the Affordable Care Act. We'll talk about that at 1213. Also, we should get a sunny Purdue confirmation as Ag Secretary later on today. Don't forget, we've got crop progress reports on many of these rural radio network stations. We'll have an update uh, later on and all throughout the day, too. Tomorrow morning, get you updated on what they say as far as corn progress. Today is our first look at soybean planting progress. That'll be out from USDA later this afternoon. Dewey talks to Mike Zuzolo from Global Commodity Analytics at 1219. They'll talk about how the markets are shaking out. Kind of quiet, a little bit of a better day for soybeans today on the board. Newsmaker is Bethany Johnston, Nebraska Extension beef educator, on winding down another calving season across the area and what to keep in mind on those final calvers out there. Susan Littlefield with Brian Buckaloo. He's with DuPont Pioneer. Talking about the popularity of high oleic soybeans. We've seen the, those grow in popularity in Nebraska, Iowa especially, now into southern Minnesota. So they'll be talking about that at 117. All right, Joe. Thank you very much. And how was the weekend sports-wise, Jason? Good weekend for the Huskers in Minneapolis. They took two out of three from the Gophers. Nebraska's now climbed up to third in the Big Ten standings at 7-4-1. and one. Remember when the Huskers had so much success with Maryland? Well, since that time, Maryland hasn't lost. <laughs> they lead the Big Ten standings at 12-3. and three. Minnesota is second at 8-4. Wow. Also over the weekend, you know, a couple weeks back, we didn't know if the Nebraska men's basketball team would end up with enough guys to even have a team. Uh, they got a big uh, commitment on Friday, and then they picked up one uh, yesterday, some front court help. player by the name of Doobie O'Kay K. O'Kay O'Kay. Now, that'll be fun to do play-by-play with. Can't wait to hear Camp Pavelka <laughs> screaming his guts on that one. bang a rang okay, okay. Yeah. So, But uh, th- this guy's not going to come in and light things up, but he's a good shot blocker. 6'8", 42-inch vertical leap. Uh, he'll give the Huskers some strength inside on the block. That would help a lot. And uh, But, yeah, that's that's his name. So mm-hmm. Say it one, one more time. Do be okay, okay. Do be okay, okay. Mm-hmm. I like it. Also, we get the thoughts of Nebraska volleyball coach John Cook. They spent the weekend in Kearney with their big spring match against Colorado State. Mm-hmm. Huskers have five big recruits coming in this fall, and we'll get his thoughts on that. Looking good. All right. And uh, I hear there's a weaker dollar making its way around the world. Bob Brogan has the business news. It certainly uh, is a little bit weaker, but stocks are uh, sharply higher today. Um, so we're watching that situation. The uh, Dow, in fact, is up almost 200 points at last check. NASDAQ also up and the S&P. Um, other things going on in the business world, justices, uh, the U.S. Uh, Supreme Court justices turn away a GM appeal over ignition switches. And Cutter Airways sees manageable decline in flights to, to the U.S., so... Uh, We'll have some uh, stories on that. All right. All of this and more is coming your way today on Midday.
Monday, and let's head on into this week to find out how much precipitation we may be able to squeeze out of these paltry clouds, Paul Perkins. Yeah, looking pretty good, especially for these areas that have been missing out on a lot of the rains recently. The potential there this week of around two inches of rain in many locations over the next seven days here. So, a little bit of light rain moving through currently from Farnham to Cambridge in the way of some light sprinkles. We will take that today. And uh-huh. this uh, ag weather is brought to you by Coolman Repair. We do have some pretty nice temperatures right now. Most of us in the low to mid-60s for temperatures. Those winds starting to die down from west to east today thanks to the passage of a trough of low pressure. Temperatures today unseasonably mild one more time. If you like the nice weather, better get out and enjoy it today because the big change is on the way starting tomorrow. Elevated fire weather conditions are possible today over some southwest locations in Nebraska, but not a big big, uh, fire threat. Non-severe thunderstorms in the forecast for tonight in the overnight, mainly late tonight, thanks to the passage of a cold front. And that cold front ushering in some much cooler air that's going to stick around for quite a while over the next week, starting tomorrow. It was much cooler conditions and sometimes some windy days. A few days over the next seven days, we could see temperatures just get stuck in the 40s and not make it past 50. So it will be a bit and noticeably chiller. The thing we will mainly be looking for for many areas is those chances for rain increasing as the week goes on. It looks like the best chances coming Thursday night through Saturday night. The Weather Prediction Center, which is a branch of the National Weather Service, continues to call for a widespread coverage of around 2 inches of rain for much of the region, including maybe as much as 2.5 inches in north-central Nebraska. We will have that map up on our KRVN Facebook page shortly so you can kind of get an idea of where you are and maybe what you're looking at for rainfall potential over the next seven days. And luckily, the severe weather threat with this system going to stay to our south. Western areas may even see some snowflakes mixed in with this rain towards the weekend. In the long term, temperatures this weekend through the first seven days of May forecast to be cooler than normal in Nebraska and Kansas. And normal for central Nebraska in that time are daytime highs in the upper 60s with overnight lows on average in the low 40s. Once again, expecting below normal temperatures the entire seven days of that, uh, or those eight to 14 day periods this weekend through the first seven days of May. The precipitation forecast Expecting it to be wetter than normal to start this weekend and early next week in Nebraska and Kansas, then a trend towards closer to normal precipitation levels the middle of next week through May the 7th. Soil temperature is at the 4-inch step at 7 this morning in the low 50s for nearly all of Nebraska and Kansas. The exceptions in the Panhandle and far east Nebraska where the soil temperatures were in the upper 40s. Weather factors in the market today include significant Midwest planting disruption due to expected heavy rain and a wet pattern in northern crop areas. Active weather will also continue across the plains and Midwest with periodic rain likely. Elsewhere, mid to late week surges of cool air will engulf much of the western and central U.S. Heavy rain in the forecast for the Midwest and Delta, and that will cause extensive disruption to field work and planting. Heavy rain in the Delta could also cause some damage to winter wheat due to wet soils. Wet conditions and colder weather in the Northern Plains disrupting their planting activities. The rain also helping, though, is helping, though, in the Southern Plains wheat crop. A cooler trend will only slow the growth somewhat. In Brazil, recent rain favored the second crop corn in Piranha and Mato Grosso do Sul. It could be drier. It should be drier later this week in areas where the rain delayed the harvest. Beneficial conditions continue in Argentina for maturing of summer crops and their harvest. Western Europe right now in the midst of a notable dry trend. 
precipitation 50 to 75 percent below normal in the past 30 days in wheat areas. It has been awfully dry in a lot of places, but uh, once we get that taken care of, then I don't know, it looks like it has to get worse before it gets better to get a tractor in the field. Yeah, it? exactly, yeah. <laughs> a lot of dust getting kicked up in these dry areas yesterday with people doing field work, yeah. and then, of course, just the winds, and then, of course, the bare fields, and we need some rain to settle that dust down. I don't think anybody would object to taking a break to get some rain in the soil. Now, let me ask you about it. We also heard a report that there's a few models that are talking about a pretty extensive frost in, in on the horizon. Here yeah, a few days this week, we could be seeing these temperatures getting right near that freezing level. Uh, no harsh freezes, luckily, for our area expected, but right near that frost level. But yeah, towards north and west Nebraska, later in the week, we could be looking at some frosty conditions, especially if we get some snow mixed in. All right. And if anyone can keep their eye on it, it'll be <laughs> Paul Perkins. We will try. <laughs> brought to you by Coolman Repair. We want to thank you for listening in. When you need weather anytime, krvn.com. Here's a look at ag information. I'm Joe Gangwish on the Rural Radio Network. The D.C. Circuit Court today will hold oral arguments on challenges to the 2014 Noble Fuel Standard volume requirements. EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt has asked judges to put other challenges to agency rules on hold. But EPA in this case is pushing to maximize administrative flexibility. EPA will defend itself against charges it set volumes for conventional biofuels, advanced cellulosic biofuels, and biomass biodiesel, either too high or too low, depending on who you ask. It'll defend its waiver to set the conventional biofuel requirements below congressional levels, and it will argue it under no obligation to change who must comply with the program. Well, in a letter sent today to a Scott Pruitt, the Renewable Fuels Association, encouraged the agency to ensure that the 2018 RFS, Renewable Fuel Volume Obligation, or RVO, rulemaking stays on schedule and maintains the conventional renewable fuel requirement at the statutory level of 15 billion gallons. Along with the letter, RFA submitted a new analysis to EPA showing that gasoline contained more than 10 percent ethanol in 2016 under the scoring that the so-called blend wall is not a real barrier to RFS compliance. You can read more about that at RuralRadio.com. Well, in this market, livestock producers are on the lookout for ways to help their bottom line. Shaley Peters has more on what some cattlemen may want to consider this time of year. Late calving cows can be a nuisance to any operation and often can cost the producer money when it comes time to sell. Bethany Johnston, Nebraska Extension Beef Educator, says looking into a controlled intravaginal drug release device, or CEDAR, may help bring calving dates closer together and save them money down the road. They just do the, the CEDAR protocol and use natural service. It's going to require you to run them through the chute a couple times. Um, and then it'll cost about $15 for that cedar and that shot of prostaglandin. But if you think about um, moving that animal up, if you can get bigger calves, you know, what's that benefit to you? So if I can move them up 30 days in the season, what does that look like as extra weaning weight later on? And it's not maybe the best for every operation, but it's nice if you have cows that are later in the season um, and you can move those up without having to replace them with a bread heifer. That's a cost savings as well. 
For more information on Cedar and how it works, visit RuralRadio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. Well, in today's cattle market, there's an ever-increasing demand for higher-quality cattle, which can perform throughout the entire supply chain. According to Chapel Feedlot's Billy Hall, cattle feeders look to invest in premium cattle, which can lead to an even greater grid premium. One of the primary goals of, of working with retained ownership customers and then feeding cattle myself and then company cattle is trying to identify the genetics that actually deliver the value in a very hard volatile market. So trying to find those cattle that you buy them for a premium and then they give a premium back to you when you market them on the grid. Well, Hall says the reward for selling premium cattle on the grid outweighs the risk of paying a premium for them. He looks at several traits when selecting quality cattle to feed, but ultimately, he says, health is the primary deciding factor when choosing between two lots of calves. And the District of Columbia Circuit Court of Appeals recently struck down a EPA regulation that exempted livestock operations from reporting emissions of certain substances such as ammonia and hydrogen sulfide under the Comprehensive Emergency Response Act and the Emergency Planning and Community Right to Know Act. Also, we should get a sunny Purdue confirmation vote later on this afternoon. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Back on the Rural Radio Network, Dewey Nelson with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. We're going to discuss the soybean trade today, first of all. reason we're up 7 to 8 cents. Is weather one of the most important factors here? I think it is, Dewey. I think you've got very wet uh, conditions on the models being forecasted. I think the trade is spreading the beans against the corn and spreading the beans against the wheat, especially with the idea that we'll get a crop progress report this afternoon. And I think they think plenty of progress has been made in the corn, but we may have enough rain over the next 10 days that it would start to stall out potential for the soybeans to get planted. I would also argue, though, um, be careful about that mindset because these weather models are jumping. This morning we had 12 inches of rain over the next seven days for central Illinois on both the European and the GFS American model. Noontime models have cut that in half to just give you an idea of how um, significant this may be later in the week if these rain totals increase like we saw over the weekend. So right now they feel good about bean exports being strong, weaker dollar, and this rainfall forecast. I think they feel very good about buying beans, and it could continue, yes. Much of the southern Kansas wheat area is in the boot stage, and they had some pretty cold temps yesterday morning. They did, and I think this is where the market is probably going into a counter-seasonal mindset. And I say that because we cannot get the wheat market to rally on, on even weather fears at this stage. And it reminds me of 2015, especially when we took out the March low uh, last week on Friday. The last time we'd been able to take the March low out in the month of April was back in 2015. We made a May low and actually went up into harvest. I would say that's kind of the cyclical model year that I'm using right now for my wheat producers. And if May, Kansas City wheat would drop below $4 at any one point here, would this be significant? I think it would because I think the commitment to traders report showed us that the big down last week was more related to commodity indexes, the long-only funds throwing in the towel. That opened up major support levels to the CRB index, the Goldman Sachs commodity index, the Bloomberg index, commodity index. All three of these indexes are on major support on the monthly charts now, Dewey, if you ask me. 
so you don't want to have wheat lead us any lower because that would probably be led by the crude oil and then it'd be all the commodities would be weighed down so yes another 25 cents lower could be seen in the wheat if we'd lose these lows from last week you mentioned how quick weather forecasts change i would guess then corn and soybeans which commodity has the best chance to rally well, I think between now and the next USDA report, when they when USDA throws more soybean carryover on because we'll get the new crop numbers, I think the trade's in the position saying, okay, USDA's 89.5 million acres of beans is going down with this weather pattern, while the corn acres are probably maintaining themselves. And I think that's what we're pricing in the spread, essentially. What's your assessment of crude oil at this stage of trading? You know, I don't think you need to go after the cash crude oil right now. I think futures is probably within a couple $3 of uh, its downside target. I would say that lead month crude is probably going to be in an established range between 45 and $55, Dewey. Um, cash markets, I would probably wait closer to the middle of May to get some needs locked in at this stage just because of how much crude we've got out there in the shipping ports and on ships and what we're doing in the refineries right now. Thanks, Mike. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. I'm Dewey Nelson. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports now with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. It was a very good weekend for the Husker baseball team as they took two out of three from Minnesota this weekend. The Huskers knocked off the Gophers yesterday 9-4, to and here's a statistic for you. Since joining the Big Ten in 2012, Nebraska now holds a 14-3 to advantage against Minnesota. Maryland now leads the Big Ten standings at 12-3. and Minnesota's second at 8-4. and NU's third. They're 7-4-1. and Well, Nebraska men's basketball coach Tim Miles has found some more needed muscle inside with front court help for next year. Doobie OKK announced yesterday he will play for the Huskers next season as a graduate transfer. The 6'8 native of Georgia leaves Winthrop as the school's all-time leader in block shots with 165 over the past three seasons. During his career, he's averaged about four points and four rebounds per game. Sophomore Alex Barnes scored a couple of touchdowns, and Justin Silman and Alex Delton each added another as the Purple team rumbled for 179 yards and 38 unanswered points. With the K-State spring game on Saturday, 38-6, that was played in front of around 13,000 fans at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. In front of a packed house of more than 2,000 fans at Kearney High School on Saturday, the Nebraska volleyball team posted a sweep of Colorado State. With the departure of four seniors, including three All-Americans, Saturday provided fans their first look at both returners and some newcomers that will make up the Husker 2017 squad. Nebraska also has a strong recruiting class waiting in the wings and head coach John Cook hopes they come in and make a difference. Well hopefully our freshmen come in and push these guys and uh, competition's always good so that, that'll be the next goal is to get those guys on campus. They'll be here in a month and get them acclimated and, and uh you know, we got a couple that got to come in and compete. In minor league baseball news, Tim Tebow had his best week in the minors, showing some consistency at the plate last week with two multi-hit games for the Columbia Fireflies. The 2007 Heisman Trophy winners in his first season with the New York Mets Class A affiliate. Last week, Tebow and the Fireflies completed two series, the first of three games set in Rome, Georgia, before returning home for four games with Lexington, Kentucky. NASCAR had to postpone the Monster Energy Cup race at Bristol Motor Speedway until today because of heavy rain. Friday's qualifying was washed out, causing the lineup to be settled on points. Pole sitter Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott, they started from the front row today. And the Nebraska softball team used a pair of six-run innings and a three-hit shutout from Cassie McClure as they raced to a 14-0 five-inning victory over 25th-ranked 
Illinois. And today is the 25th annual Central Nebraska Track and Field Meet. That's taking place this afternoon in Grand Island. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Slight chance of sprinkles before 1 p.m. and then mostly sunny with a high near 76 today. South winds at about 15 miles an hour for tonight. A 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms mainly after 4 a.m. And then for Tuesday, a chance of showers and thunderstorms once again cloudy with a high near 51. Chance of precipitation is at 40% for Tuesday. New rainfall amounts between a tenth and a quarter of an inch. Expect higher amounts possibly in thunderstorms. From the newsroom, I'm Scott Foster. Gas prices this week are up, but it's just a slight increase. Industry analyst Trilby Lundberg with Lundberg Surveys says the national average is two forty six a gallon. In our panel of cities, lower forty eight states, Jackson, Mississippi is the low average two oh nine, and the high average is San Francisco Bay Area at three oh four. It's higher than last year, but just a slight increase, and the trend seems to be pointing towards stabilizing prices. The latest survey by AAA indicates the average price of a gallon of gas in regular gas in Nebraska is two thirty-five. Sandhills Energy's Chuck Hasselbrook says when you drive by a wind turbine in Nebraska, think of property tax relief because one turbine pays about $15,000 in taxes per year. It also provide good income to landowners. Um, landowners uh, make good money for having them on their land, and they provide some jobs, too. And if we're going to create a future out here in our communities uh, for our next generation coming up, we need good jobs out here. And the jobs uh, on wind farms are good jobs. Um, uh, they play, pay a decent income for someone who uh, maybe takes a, a, a one year or less than a year uh, program in a community college to get a certificate. Asbrook says alternative energy is a positive form of economic development and tax reform for rural Nebraska. A bill that would create a task force to investigate public health problems in white clay has won final approval in Nebraska's legislature. Lawmakers passed the measure Monday with a 48 to nothing vote. The bill by Senator Patty Pansing Brooks of Lincoln comes as the unincorporated village faces new scrutiny. The town's four beer stores sold the equivalent of 3.5 million cans of beer in 2015, despite having just nine residents. White Clay sits on the border of South Dakota's Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, where alcohol is banned. The Nebraska Liquor Control Commission voted last week not to renew the store's request to renew their liquor licenses. The decision is expected to be appealed. The task force would include senators, public health officials, and the Commission on Indian Affairs Executive Director. Get the latest forecasts and live severe weather reporting around the clock on KRVN and KRVN.com. From the News Center, I'm Scott Foster. As producers aim to finish up calving season this year, they may have just a few cows left that are taking their sweet time. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network, and today I visit with Bethany Johnson. She's a Nebraska Extension beef educator, and Bethany, we're going to talk about those late calving cows and how producers might be able to move them up for next year as they look to breed them here and not too far down the road. There are some definite benefits to this. So why don't we start off by talking about here how this can be done. Yeah, so if you have some of those cows that just are calving later, their calves are going to be lighter, 
Um, you're not going to make as much money on them. And usually when they're breeding that late in the season, they, they risk um, even falling out of the herd and, and not getting pregnant. And so some things you can do is um, use a cedar protocol. So a cedar is a controlled intravaginal drug release device, and so it's C-I-D-R. They call them cedars. And so if the cow has calved, 20 days later you can put a cedar in and use a protocol to help kind of jumpstart that uh, cow so she can rebreed sooner. And so we like to wait that 20 days after calving just because the uterus has to shrink back to its original size. So when you think about, you know, a calf being born, it's between 70 and, and 90 pounds, that calf bed or that uterus has to shrink back down to the size of a volleyball. So if you calve and, and stick a, a cedar in there right away, um, it hasn't had a chance to recover. And so make sure that you wait those 20 days to do that. And then if you're using natural service, you can go ahead and put that cedar in, wait seven days, and then pull it, and then give a shot of prostaglandin. And you don't need to, to get extra bulls or anything like that, um, but that will bring those cows in to cycle. Um, if you're using AI, um, what you need to do is when you insert that cedar, add a shot of GnRH, and then leave that cedar in for seven days, and then when you pull that, inject that prostaglandin again when you remove that cedar. And these protocols are up on a website called beefrepro.info, and so you have to be real specific when you use these protocols. You can't miss a shot or give it the next day. You need to be real specific on when you do that. And that website, beefrepro.info, has those updated protocols and then also some calculators. So if this is the day I want to breed, um, it'll help you work backwards. This is when I need to give a shot. This is when I need to um, put the cedars in, pull them, and that sort of thing. Is this something for producers that have used this, is this something that they have found fairly successful? Yeah, so they use this up at the Goodmanson Sandhills Ranch, and they've actually been able to move up cows 30 to 40 days in that breeding season. And so they've had some good luck with it. Um, but like I said, make sure you follow that protocol and that you're using the right type of cedar for the right amount of time. But that's, that's kind of nice if you can move that cow that calved at the end of the season, move them up so they're now at the beginning of that calving season for next year. Well, and that was my next question. Is this something with these particular cows, if you're having trouble with them, that needs to be done on a yearly basis, or will that automatically bump them up for years following? Yeah, so that will just help those cows um, kind of get a, a head start. So you think about when you when you run races and you're behind the pack, it's harder to catch up to get to the front. So we're kind of placing them and giving them a chance to do that. The other thing to think about, too, is um, when you're doing your breeding that your cows need to be in, in good shape, so a body condition score of five or greater, and they will breed better if they're on an increasing plane of nutrition. So when we think about in the sand hills, we like to breed in that June, July, just because our grass quality uh, is, is going up. So our crude protein, our TDN is going up, and it kind of um, sends a signal to that cow that this is a good environment to be in. Let's bring babies into the world um, versus that if you were in a drought 
or if you're breeding later in the fall when that grass gets stemmy, it kind of sends a, a signal to the cow that maybe this isn't the best environment to to get bred in. So those are some things you need to consider too is body condition score and then what's your forage quality doing. Right now most cattlemen are facing some pretty tight profit margins. This might be something that they can look at to kind of give them a little extra money in their pocket when it comes time to sell them. Yeah, so if they just do the the cedar protocol and use natural service, it's going to require you to run them through the chute a couple times. Um, And then it'll cost about $15 for that cedar and that shot of prostaglandin. But if you think about um, moving that animal up, if you can get bigger calves, uh, you know, what's that benefit to you? So if I can move them up, 30 days in the season, what does that look like as extra weaning weight later on? And so that's out is, is will I get a, a profit by moving them up? Um, and that's something they should consider for, for their operation too. Do I have the facilities to do it? Do I have the manpower to run them through and, and pull them and give that shot? Um, so there's some things to think about. It's not maybe the best for every operation, but it's, it's nice to, if you have cows, that are later in the season um, and you can move those up without having to replace them with a bred heifer, that's a cost savings as well. Thanks so much, Bethany Johnston, Nebraska Extension Beef Educator, talking to us today about moving those late calving cows up in the breeding season. I'm Shaylee Peters and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Next, we will assess this cattle futures and hog futures market with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Oh, we always like to hear the good news, so it must be the hogs today. Yeah, uh, we did just the opposite of what we did all week uh, last week, uh, the start of this week. We had cattle lower and hogs higher. And, uh, so uh, I, guess, yeah, I guess it was time for a change after uh, so many days of uh, doing the same. So, uh, yeah, the cattle came under a little bit of pressure. Uh, a lot of it off the cattle on feed report. Uh, and basically the uh, uh, middle months uh, of uh, trade uh, were the ones that caught most of it, and mainly because of the uh, placement number. Uh, no real trade today, uh, as uh, I guess most would have figured, uh, since normally uh, it's pretty quiet on a Monday. Uh, over in the uh, uh, hogs, uh, finding a little bit of support turned around, uh, uh, looks like we may have uh, a low. We had a, uh, a took out yesterday's high, and uh, things really popped right here in the last hour or so. Um, cash seems to be uh, a little bit more stable, and I think that was one of the reasons we just got some short covering uh, to uh, push the market higher. As far as cutouts, beef uh, mixed, uh, choice up a little bit, uh, select down, and in the uh, hogs, uh, uh, cut out pork, pork cut out was a little bit higher so some positive news uh, all the way around for uh, basically the hogs and uh, obviously the uh, cattle suffering mainly due to the uh, catalog feed report joe teal can be reached at great plains commodities 800-328-0134 i'm doing nelson of Hyolaic soybeans continues to grow across the Midwest. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Brian Bunkaloo is a Senior Production Systems Manager at DuPont Pioneer. 
we talked about the increase in popularity and their expansion of their footprint. So there's a, you know, a couple of key drivers. One of those is, is of course, the uh, you know the general ag economy, right? So this is a it's a value added opportunity. So you know, based depending on yield, you know, growers are going to get an additional twenty to thirty dollars per acre in additional revenue. So obviously, with commodity bean prices where they're at, this has certainly been an you know an attractive attractive opportunity, and it, it has contributed significantly in the growth growth of acres here over the last several years. So that, in combination with just the, the product offering, or you know, the, our varieties are, are performing well. We're seeing really yield parity with with some of our you know elite soybean genetics. So if you get those two things in combination. Um, you know, it's just it's just developed a scenario where we're, we've been able to drive additional lake acres. Now, what I understand is um, you're going to have the first commercially grown plenish soybeans, but it's going to be done just in Iowa. That's correct. Actually, the, we this is our sixth year overall of commercialization right. of the plenish beans. Oh, yeah, but it's correct. Our, this is our first year that uh, Iowa and Southern Min and Minnesota will participate in, in commercial acres. That is correct. So we're kind of, we started, really our footprint started, Susan, in the eastern Corn Belt, Indiana, Ohio, even out in the Delmarva region. But uh, now we're moving it west of the Mississippi. So we've had a little pod, a little, uh, some production in Nebraska in 16, and now, yes, the 17 crop we'll have acres, uh, commercial acres in both Iowa and Minnesota for the first time. That's correct. Great opportunity for growers in those two states then. Yes. So obviously we, you know, we, we see to expand the footprint west. Um, it's really kind of virgin territory. And we've got a partner there in, in southern Minnesota in the CHS is the is our processor partner there in Fairmont, Minnesota that will draw acres in both from both Minnesota and Iowa. Yeah. So we, we think that's a, we're obviously very excited about that uh, to bring it, uh, you know, to, to more of the central corn belt and uh, hopefully continue to expand acres how far west can you guys go in growing this bean with weather and that kind of factors being being looked at before you have to kind of draw the line and say okay we can't go any farther this direction nor can we go any farther north sure so right now our, our product portfolio is as early as a group two, so obviously southern Minnesota, um, a group two soybean, up to a, about a mid-group four, so about a four, right now it's about a 4.2, so that kind of gives you a sense of north to south. So you know, our, our, F, our, our current research pipeline, we want to get to from about a group zero to a group five. And Susan, that's going to capture, as you, as, you, as you know, you know, the overwhelming majority of the soybean acres that are grown in the U.S., so, you know, we really are going to be able to cut a pretty wide swath from north to south and east to west. We talked about the premiums, Brian. What type of premiums are growers that are, that are currently producing this bean, um, what are they seeing? So it, it does vary by processor, but I can tell you, you know, it's in that general range of, of 40 cents to about 50 cents, depending on if it's harvest delivery or if it's, you know, buyer's call or on-farm store. Part of my conversation with Brian Bucklew, Senior Production System Manager at DuPont Pioneer. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. 880 KRVN, 106.9 Kearney. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. As we watched corn finish higher, soybeans really led the way, however, but weight was lower. 
Joining us with an assessment of the markets today, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. So, let's begin with soybeans, the high note of the day. Yeah, good Asian demand overseas. We have uh, crop, uh, I'm sorry, um, crush margins are kind of blowing out uh, over in China. I think that's what's got the trade a little bit concerned. I think we're back to the planting ratios also with corn to, to beans uh, sitting right around that 2.5 level. So I think we are, I'm going to say, topping out on beans. I think we're going to have to see the, the rest of the row crop, crop complex come with it here if beans are going to continue to rally above, say, 970 new crop. Um, but that old crop picture looks pretty pretty bullish here. I think the shorter term trend is all about delivery, and it's about how many folks are looking to move out of storage and just put it onto the market. Uh, wheat and corn, there's a lot of that available for sale. Beans, there are not, and I think that's why you haven't seen beans really follow the rest of the complex lower. Um, I think, you know, potential for a turnaround Tuesday definitely exists. I'm more in the camp thinking that we'll probably need to get through the week, and then once we get through that, the bin doors shut again, and at these prices, we're not selling July. We're going to see a lot of sales as we're, we're trolling the loan values now for a lot of folks uh, southwest of you guys. So shorter term here, I think you got to endure some pain for another three or four days, but we'll come off these lows in my opinion. Were corn and soybean inspections bullish again? Yeah, and that's another thing you got to pay attention to. I mean, the demand is there. Uh, I would say wheat is, is fantastic, but from a, from a standpoint of, of seeing the low prices, cure low prices arguments, you're still seeing massive movements relative to a year ago, and that's something that I think we, we can kind of hang our hat, hat on as far as, you know, making a claim that maybe the highs aren't in for the year. Um, you know, once we get beyond that, though, um, as far as Newport, new shipment exports, export reports on Thursdays, those are probably going to continue to crawl, kind of do a slowing halt here as we get into the middle part of the summer. But um, bottom line for demand, it's there. We're just now looking for a supply story. Um, a little bit of thing you know, popping up this morning out of Russia. They did downgrade their crop again. Um, I think this will be almost, uh, I think, 9 million metric tons lower than a year ago, so it's less than, say, for right around 15%. Um, their weather hasn't been great, as has the weather in France and uh, in Spain. So I, I don't think there's a ton of upside here, but I don't think we'll, we'll be uh, we're printing the highs here for the year on uh, April 24th. Volatility. Do you expect to see in the next few weeks more up and down moves? We're talking about that weather announcer, right? <laughs> yeah. I think so. I think the market will care when it cares. Right now it's all about the short-term supply, but that will end in a week. Thanks, John. John Payne, go to danielsagmarketing.com and get more information. We've been talking with John Payne, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network. On the web and right to your phone, you now get more important information than ever before. K-R-V-N. Lexington, Nebraska.